The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905 905- Nine seven two seven four two zero. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you both. Good morning, Scott. Morning, Mitch. Good morning. Obviously, guys. obviously, towards the end of last year, inflation was uh, a, a, a lot, a hot topic. Everybody was talking about it, and before Christmas, we started to hear about things sort of um, um, easing up, I guess, in the United States, and that this would be a relatively good year. Uh, now, as you've said many times, tail wagging the dog. Canada finds itself in pretty much the same place. Yes, yes. And uh, yeah, the dog always wags the tail. Absolutely, Scott. And the U.S. being the dog, of course, Canada being the tail. And weirdly enough, we followed suit. Yes, our inflation rate kicked up a bit in December, uh, 3.4%. And it's kind of the core inflation was also uh, when, they, when you take, um, you know, uh, utilities, gas and, and housing out of it. It actually was 3.6. So it's getting a little, still sticky. Uh, and so the government's kind of stuck in a bit of a tough spot. Do they, you know, they look at dropping interest rates. This is what they've claimed that they will be doing. And they will likely be following suit with the U.S. But they do want to try to get this inflation down to around 2%. This is kind of this, this goal of theirs. I'm not sure if that's mandatory or not, in my own opinion, because inflation is generally run around just over 3% for the last 100 years. But this is what they're trying to accomplish. It just depends on, I guess, how much they want to hurt the economy. So they uh, they got some good decisions to make coming in the new year. And uh, I know next uh, in the next many, many years, uh, depending if us boomers have big mortgages or whatever, because of these high interest rates, maybe we'll eat up all our, our net worth. Who knows if uh, for those boomers that are in debt. But... <laughs> Apparently, there's this great wealth transfer that the millennials are looking forward to. They're licking their chops. And it's called the great. And everything I deal with the, the millennials, they always want to call it the great. Okay? So this is the great wealth transfer. And I guess from the recipient end, it is great for them. I was going to say, it's got to be great from someone's point of view, right? <laughs> hey, hey, my question but, is, is will this be the great, great tax grab? Oh, that's a good point. I'll be bringing that up actually in the next session. All right. Yeah. I mean, I've got a point on that as well. But yeah, we are currently in the midst of the largest wealth transfer in history. In fact, trillions of dollars will be moving from one generation to the next in just the coming years. And so you've worked your entire life to build up your wealth. And it's only fitting you should have the clarity and control of who you get to pass it to and how it is controlled after that, after you're gone. So a recent study done has shown that the baby boomers who plan to pass all their assets to their millennial children expect to leave an average inheritance of $940,000. Wow. And uh, can't, yeah, I I was actually very surprised by that. But I guess with with housing prices the way they are, and you can kind of see where they are. There's large estates just in that alone. But yeah, but Canada's you know, you, you know, Mitch, by that time, uh, that will be a down payment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'll, that'll probably just be the one year tuition for school or something. <laughs> 
<laughs> but Canada has never experienced such a wealth transfer that it's about to. The upcoming transfer wealth is actually, like you said, it's labeled the Great Wealth Transfer. And uh, that's a great name to me, right, being a millennial. But <laughs> got a couple boomers on the on the air with me too. So it's nice to see you guys laughing at that one. But uh, and actually, we're July, actually we're crying is what we're doing. We're crying. Uh, licking your chops so you can spend it all. I know. So really what this means to the boomers is that they have underlived. They have left all this extra money and they could have actually lived a higher lifestyle retirement and they wouldn't have had to leave so much money to their millennial kids. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess I guess that could be factual and I know I, I'm going to remember I'm going to remember this point Don at our next meeting by the way. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, I I know <laughs> I know us at the Fox team we like to tell our clients to maximize fun which means to you have this big pot of money and spend as much as you can and have as much fun as you can. If what you leave behind um, is great for your millennials or whatever beneficiaries you have. So we want to make sure here at Fox Group that you are maximizing your life. You're maximizing everything that you want to do. And by just 2026, there's an expected $1 trillion to exchange from baby boomers to millennials in Canada. So that's just in Canada. And when wow. you're doing some research, I wanted to see, well, what, what's the U.S. looking like? Because usually it's a lot more. And when I was doing some research, I came across the amount that U.S. is expecting $84.4 trillion to be passed through to 2045. So that's about in the next 20 years, you're looking at $84.4 trillion to be passed from one generation to the next. And I mean, that that's a lot of money. And without the proper planning, that could be wasted, could be given a lot more to the taxman than need be. Because uh, um, as you were kind of saying there, Scott, everyone's everyone's got at least one beneficiary that's the same on every single estate, and that's the CRA. Um, they're, they're guaranteed to be on your estate. And what we like to do here is to minimize the tax so that your beneficiaries get more and they get the maximized value from your estate rather than giving it to the CRA. So uh, setting up proper accounts so that these funds are looked after when you're gone is, is very important. If your millennial beneficiary thinks the, the, the average amount that a millennial thinks that they're actually going to get by the same study was about 300000 So hmm. there's about a $650,000 difference of what they think they're going to get and what they're actually going to get. And if if they're actually thinking about what they're going to use this money for and they think 300, well, maybe they're budgeting this out and thinking, okay, well, what, what can I use this for? But then they get three times the amount that they thought it's in my eyes, it could be very likely that they're not going to spend it as you want it to be spent. So having these discussions with them is something that should certainly be done. And that brings me to the most important thing here is to have communication and communication is something everyone can relate to. And sometimes it's very challenging and uncomfortable, especially when it comes to death. It's nothing wants to, nothing anyone really wants to talk about. But having these conversations early is very important and it could make a huge difference in how your money is spent. So meaningful communications, uh, it's very tough to do. But when you want to have this, you should be doing it early. And I know, I know we sit down and sometimes we have, the beneficiaries come into our, these meetings and they'll be 
going through each and everything as to how much tax is going to be on the estate. And there are actually ways to get around um, paying some tax on estate. And one of the ways is uh, actually through life insurance. Uh, you could be putting these uh, these payments into life insurance so that they're creating a tax-free estate instead of have giving them a massive possibly a RIF, which is going to be a massive tax bill because it's fully taxable as income on their final tax bill. I know, I know, Don, uh, you were doing some of this just a little bit ago, is that you're handling on people's RIFs um, early on because before they start CPP so that they can uh, lower their tax bills at that time. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's, and it's trying to create that tax-efficient retirement paycheck which I won't get into too much now because I'll be discussing in our next segment. But yeah, last thing we want to do is have your biggest beneficiary being the Canadian Revenue Agency. And that's where a lot of people are leaving a large chunk of their money. So if there's a way to properly tax, to, to avoid tax, totally, probably impossible. But to reduce tax significantly, that's what we do as, as, uh, as for financial planners. Yeah, and that's a great point. Another thing to do here is it's, it's tough for people to be honest and realistic about family situations and wealth when it comes to making decisions for their estate plan. 32% of Canadian parents worry about how their children will handle their inheritance. And the top four reasons why their child will be a, unable to maintain their wealth is 24% are external factors, including high cost of living. And I know right right now the cost of living is very high and seems to be one of the largest concerns for everyone right now is talking about how much gas costs, how much groceries cost, and everyone's worried about how, how their money is going to last. And the, the way to keep it from lasting is to not be spending it, but also to have it invested so that it's keeping up with inflation. But you don't want to get too overly aggressive in your investments because then you could have a larger drop down and you won't be able to keep up your lifestyle if you have those large drops. So to make sure you have a proper asset allocation is something that's key. And that's something that we do with all of our clients is to make sure that they're not overly allocated in overly risky areas. And that would lead to my second factor here that 21% of, of uh, parents worry about the lack of financial knowledge uh, for their beneficiaries. So these parents, uh, they trust to give the instance to them because they want to as their kids, but they also don't trust them to handle the, the funds in the way that they should be. So the best way to go about this is to have these conversations with your children early and help them ensure that they learn the values and learn how they built the funds so that they actually might mean as much to the, the child or the beneficiary as it does to you. Yeah, it's actually interesting bringing that up because we, we, you know, we've been doing this for 38 years now and, I, and, we've dealt, and you're dealing with a lot of kids of our clients. And the ones that were kind of at the kitchen table or were privy to it, for part of the discussion, they are off to the races once they started getting a job and once they started to make their own income. And it's almost like it was a school. It was tuition that they were just sitting there soaking it all in. Uh, and it's amazing how much they soaked in because later on, they come to you now, Mitch, and they're saying, okay, this is what I want to do. And it is amazing to see those those skills instill in those children, now adults, a lot of them are uh, in over 30s and some in their 40s at this point. And uh, it, I mean, obviously, uh, growing up with you, I got to hear this my whole life. And uh, uh, I know what that is like, it's, Mitch. It's, <laughs> but you it, know, it's that, funny that, because 
it's let me funny interrupt because these guys that... are saying the, they're saying the same things that I'm hearing all the time. My growing up, my my life, and these people who I maybe never met in my life, they, I'm sitting at them saying these things. Like, oh yeah, I heard your dad say that like 20 years ago. <laughs> you know, it, it's funny because you talked earlier, Mitch, about having the discussion with parents that are elderly and, and this is whether, you know, their care or their investments or, or what's going to, you know, happen moving for moving forward. And nobody wants to do that. Again, if you start those discussions, as you mentioned really early, then it just sort of progresses along. It's like, well, we've always been talking about this. So it's not a big deal when you have to have that discussion. Yeah. Having a plan in place, knowing how much you roughly may get, uh, it could be very beneficial. It might because eighteen percent of parents are actually worried about their kids splurging the entire inheritance. And I, I know, Don, you've talked about this times that the people get inheritance could be gone within that year, and they don't last all that long. And they could be a very large inheritance. And the next thing you know, it's gone within a year, and all their their parents' hard work was gone for naught. Nine. How much is the average? Did you say nine hundred? And how much? E the average inheritance is $940,000 in Canada. And to me, that's like $940,000 lottery ticket. And and when this gets passed on, the average lottery winner lasts five years. This I, Unless they have proper financial planning, this the same thing will happen as, they, as happens to lottery winners. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Creating a tax-efficient retirement paycheck. This is key, especially with prices going up. <laughs> that's that's for sure. Uh, prices, taxes. And you know what? It's kind of interesting. We kind of we go through the education phase and we what you know, maybe we graduate at age 20, 22, 23, whatever the age is. And then we start our job. And it was pretty easy. The first bit, because you're told what to do. Second part, if you're an employee, you're pretty much told what to do, too. And you go through all of the different stages of that employment. And hopefully, you know, have a pension fund. Um, you may, it's a defined contribution plan quite often. Hopefully, you've done some great financial planning. You've worked with a CFP all the way through. And you have a whole lot of money at the end. Then the next stage, you got a lump sum of money and you got a lifestyle. But you don't get this, re you don't get this paycheck every couple of weeks anymore. And that's our job to create that, that paycheck for you every two weeks or every month, whatever it might be, so that it just carries on. So this transition of going from a work paycheck to a retirement paycheck, that's where the real kind of the magic sauce in a, in a, in a financial plan is all about. Because I would suggest the average out there by far does it wrong because we deal with this every day and we hear so many things. So right, right off the get-go, as Mitch had said earlier, Canadians are the most highly taxed in the world. And so tax-driven planning 
kind of makes people do a lot of the right things. But I would actually suggest more often than not, they actually do the wrong things because they're trying to avoid tax at all costs. And they're not looking at a big enough picture. So, you know, we, you build up this big nest egg and you say, okay, where do I get this check from? Well, right off the get-go, you got the retirement pensions, sorry, the uh, government pensions. And old age security uh, currently is about $713 a month. And if you're over 75, it's $784 a month. Putting that in an annual salary would be $8,560 a year, or if you're over 70, $7,416 a year. And that's as long as you're a Canadian for over 40 years, 40 years. Uh, CPP, the, uh, the maximum Canada pension plan you can receive at 65 is $1,363 a month. Um, at age 70, if you deferred it and you got this extra 42%, you would end up getting um, $1,936 a month. So that works out to either 16,356 a year or 23,000 a year if you wait till 70. And now that is based on the maximum Canada pension plan. Uh, the vast majority are not getting the maximum. And you can go on your, the CRA site and see how much you qualify for because quite often there was years you may not have contributed to the maximum. However, assume you did work all the way through, put in your all those years. You're allowed seven dropout years uh, to raise kids or go back to school or you were already in school and you started work a little later. So it, it, is, it is fair. So really the government-based pension, if you simply look at 65 and that's 16,000 of Canada Pension Plan, 8,500 of uh, old age security. Basically, the government pension is $25,000 per person. Not a bad base. And that's at 65. Now, if you're a couple, there's 50 grand a year. And, you know, grit for a lot of people because to the vast majority do need some kind of, call it discipline. And this is the discipline the government's already provided for you. They are going to give you this. You work you are a resident of Canada, we're going to give you this money. And again, not when I say give, that's an overstatement because in Canada Pension Plan, you're contributing and the employer contribute half. Now, there's other assets though. What about all those RSPs you've, you've created through work or on an individual basis? They can be moved over to a RIF and they can start that anytime. Just because like you have to wait till 71 um, that's the maximum you can delay moving RSPs to a RIF, but you can start that at any age. There's no real um, starting date. Now, if it was a locked-in RSP um, from a pension, you, the earliest you can start that is age 55. Now, TFSAs, that could also be a source of income. So the most, a lot of our clients are sitting here now because they've been contributing their max, which this year, by the way, is $7,000. They're up to $95,000 of contributions over all these years. And they're now sitting there with over $150,000 each in tax-free savings accounts. Well, that's a nice nest egg. Tax-free, by the way. So that could be $300,000 a couple. What about non-registered investments? Now, if you inherited money, as, as Mitch was mentioning, you got this $900 check in your hand. Well, you can only put so much into TFSAs. You you're, you likely can't put in RSPs if you're not working anymore. So it goes into non-registered and that those can create dividends, interest, capital gains, or something that is called return of capital using a T-series, which is tax-free. And then we have a lot of clients that own corporations 
Uh, they were maybe lawyers, doctors, dentists, financial planners, if you will, um, small business people that owned a company and they sold their company and the money's sitting in a corporation and they can pay themselves a dividend or salary using the, and the capital dividend account can also be paid through to the shareholders. And then of course there's insurance assets that you can then borrow on, on top of that. So in a quick summary, you have your government pensions, you have registered assets, RSPs, you got tax-free savings accounts, you got non-registered, you got corporate assets if you want to have a corporation, and you have insurance assets. What do we do with this mess? That's a lot of different asset classes. How do we create this? And this is where I say quite often people are getting advice um, based on on what, you know, based on tax. And good advice, the fact that it is based on tax, but they're trying to look at okay, well, let's save tax today and worry about paying the tax later. And as planners, this usually means the clients are making a mistake. So perfect example is we have a lot of clients that will say, well, you know, I'm going to start using my, my um, TFSAs first. They're tax-free. Okay. And you know what? I'm also just keep my income really low and not pay any tax. Or I'm going to start my Canada pension plan at 60 and start getting that. Okay. I retired at 60. Let's get it out right now. You never know how long you're going to live, you know? And, and a lot of them say, well, I don't want to pay tax on my RSPs. I'll just defer that. I don't have to start until I'm 71. So let's defer that. The longer I cannot pay the tax on that, the better. So there's all these kind of call it noise out there and cheap advice because Nobody's got any skin in the game. They're just getting lots of advice from different people. And most of it's wrong. And this is where you have somebody like Mitch or myself going through this and creating the most efficient way to create an income for yourself. So let's start with an example here. Let's say there's a couple that are 60 years old and they've retired after selling the business. They like to spend their lifestyle is about 10000 a month. So a nice lifestyle, 120000 a year. That's after tax. They've always maxed their old age security and Canada pension plan. They're sitting there with a million dollars in RSPs, $300,000 in tax-free savings accounts. Non-registered accounts are $700,000. They have a holding company of a million dollars. Their house is paid off, no debts. So basically, they have $3 million in investments in a house. How do we get them the $10,000 each month to them? And like I mentioned, a lot of people say, well, let's start the CPP at 60. Let's use the TFSAs first so you don't have to pay tax. Keep that RSPs going until you're 71. Um, maybe pay yourself a dividend from the corporate now. So many different ways to skin this. What is the best way? And right off the get-go, if you start your Canada Pension Plan at age 60, you'll get $10,500 each, considering if they maximized it, almost $16,000 at at 65, um, if they waited, versus almost 16,000 rather, if you wait till 65. And if and if you waited uh, until you're 70, so let's say you start at 60 versus 70, that person starting at 60 would have about $120,000 head start of receiving money. So why wouldn't you wanna start it at 60? Um, and this is using about 3% inflation. Because, hey, if you died at age 70, you never received that first check, you, you would have got $120,000 ahead. You would have been $120,000 ahead. And of course, you got to pay tax on this. So even after income tax, two people, 
it's 170,000 more that the estate would get if you both died at 70. Now, weirdly enough, people, when they're talking about CPP, always seem to want to think they're going to die early. Okay. It makes no sense to me. They always say, well, well, I never know. I might not get it. I might as well take it out early. And I'm going, okay, well, the actuaries will say that you're going to lose because if you make 60, good chance you're making 85. That's pretty much the average. So you're basically saying, whatever reason, you're being very pessimistic. You're dying at age 70 and you want that money right away. And I'm going, okay, well, let's say you did lift 85. Well, out of the gate, the break-even point where you would have received all the funds from your CPP versus 60 versus 70, break-even is, is age 76. So as long as you made it to 76, and by the way, if anybody dies at 76 these days, they say, oh boy, did that person ever die young? Except for the ones that want CPP. They don't think they're going to live that long. So, so we, I have these debates all the time. Now, if you did happen to live to 85, you missed out on $200,000 each for each person. After tax, that works out to $280,000 less that the kids will get. And maybe that's why they're only they're going to get 900 some odd thousand dollars when they uh, as an estate these millennials, they could have actually got an extra 280 had they started their CPP at age 70. So there's an opportunity to cash in RSPs early. And if you are retired, you've been saving tax. You're a high income earner. You've been building a lot of wealth. But if you wait till the end to cash in your RSPs, you're going to pay 53.53% tax on anything over $240,000 of income. So if you've left your million dollars to the end, the government's getting more than half. Okay. I Personally, I think that should be illegal. I've always said this. When the government gets more than you actually earned, I don't get it. So, so many moving parts on this. What about getting a salary from the holding company? What about, you know, the, and now there's, what if you got a couple gains exemption when you sold the business? Alternative minimum, minimum tax could have kicked in. Um, you could invest some of the money in the holding company into an insurance policy. Mitch mentioned this earlier. And make deposits every year into this insurance policy. Um, that would pay a lot of the income tax at death. Okay, there's one way of saying, okay, CRA, you win, but I win too because I put some money in insurance policy. It's my get-out-of-jail-free tax card. I don't have to pay tax on it because I got this card, and I'm giving, I'm letting it tax-free. It's a tax-free asset that will pay the government all their tax that you owe, and all the extra money goes to, the, goes to your kids. Um, definitely taking the TFSAs out early makes absolutely no sense. This seems to be an easy pot of money. Everybody loves to say, oh, wow, let's just take it out of the TFSA. Well, how are we going to maximize that? Keeping that to the end, Mitch, every time we do an analysis using keeping the TFSAs to the end and keep maximizing it, isn't it always better off? It's significantly better off. It's not even remotely close. The amount in the estate is enormously different and also just the amount of tax you're like the probate there's other stuff to leave in your tfsa there uh, versus having the rsp um, i know um, lots of people who have a large rsp if they died they also weren't in that 53 and a half percent tax bracket during their working career and yet they get dinged for it 
after they die. It's 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 just terrible how much the CRA takes on that last bill. It's a massive estate tax, is what it is. So let's say we cashed in seventy five thousand dollars each year from the RSP from age sixty to age sixty five. You would only pay twenty percent tax by cashing those monies in, and so you would net sixty thousand dollars each. Well, isn't that funny? That works out to one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year for a couple. Hey, they only need ten thousand. That works out perfect. So let's take out one hundred twenty thousand dollars. Sorry, one hundred fifty thousand dollars each out of your RSP. And that would be left by the time you're 65, you're down to $433,000 left in the RSP at age 65. You've, you've reduced the tax bomb. You've, left, you've taken a lot. If I can cash them in my RSPs at 20%, trust me, I would cash them all in. That's a bargain because I've saved a lot more than 20% when I, when I contributed in income tax. So delaying Canada pension plan at age 70, and then pulling out more money out of the hold co, the holding company, um, using funds from your investments, your non-registered, and possibly not using having a lot of dividend income, trying to earn capital gains. And we have a a, next, a way of doing things called T-series, where we can create a tax-free income out of the non-registered. And this will help you buy those cars along the way and get those big items. So there's two parts of a plan. You want a salary, that's your paycheck, but you still want to buy the odd big item. And where do you get those funds from on a tax-effective basis? So many moving parts. We want to try to create a most tax-efficient plan. That was another thing that I wanted to go on your points here is that you mentioned all these different accounts of where you're taking this income from, but how you're investing each account makes a huge difference as well. You don't want to have interest uh, bearing investments in your non-registered because those are going to be taxed the most. You want uh, capital gains and dividends and you would want interest bearing investments in your TFSA. So when you're creating that paycheck, uh, you want to be cognizant as to which investments are in each account as well, because that's going to greatly affect your taxable income on an annual basis. So, absolutely. So really at the end of the day, we're sitting here with, we want to have you having a significant income you want to have a really great lifestyle. But isn't that, what is the definition of real financial planning? In my mind, real financial planning is maximizing your lifestyle, maximizing fun, doing all the things you want to do, leave a significant amount of money of tax-free assets to the kids, and the government gets way less. It's a win-win-win. You get lots of great life, the kids get what's left over, and the government doesn't get much. That's real financial planning. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. A break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Here's an issue we were talking about a lot at one time and then not so much. And here we are again. Bitcoin. <laughs> Update us here. Yeah, thanks, Scott. Uh, January 11th, just five days ago, 
uh, a Bitcoin ETF started trading. And uh, that wasn't too long ago. And now it's all over the headlines. And there's among many companies, at least 10 companies in the U.S. that are now able to have Bitcoin spot ETFs, which means that if you invest in this, your money tracks Bitcoin. And as so, we're getting quite a few questions about this. But uh, first of all, what is Bitcoin? I just want to quickly go over it, that it is a virtual currency designed to act as money in the form of payment. And it's outside of the control of any entity such as the bank. So you get to go peer-to-peer -peer transactions without having to pay the uh, fee or have to wait for a holding period. So in theory, a lot of people um, like this, but it is still a very small percentage of people out there, but because of the large returns and media and social media of people looking like they got rich, a lot of people have a lot of interest in this. Uh, Bitcoin was introduced in to the public in 2009. It's become the well, well, most well-known cryptocurrency in the world and its popularity um, has been growing rapidly. And recently this spot ETF was approved. It, it was it's been re it's been rejected by years by the SEC, but now uh, there has been institutions that have actually growingly seen it as a asset class, and it's been different as to what asset class it really is. Is it a, a functional form of transactions? Um, probably not. It takes a lot of energy and it takes a long time for Bitcoin to actually move from peer to peer. But what is it is growing as a asset class is uh, digital gold. And I know a lot of people like gold, and it was a very popular topic back in early 2023, and maybe first half of 2023, actually. And a lot of people are considering it as digital gold, and now you don't have to hold it gold in your safe. You don't have to have this big rock. And is it worth it is? It's all based off supply and demand. Is it? Is it an inflation hedge? Um, quite possible. So what do I do with this big bar of gold that I bought at Costco? <laughs> <laughs> Where do I put that? Uh, well, I, I'm sure the bank will store it somewhere for you for a fee. Um, but why is why is this spot ETF important? So for years, it's been really tough to get into Bitcoin. And um, there are, are exchanges, but you have to deposit money onto it. And then um, it's, it's just tough to get into it. And the institutions, they weren't going to get into Bitcoin. They would talk about it all the time, but they aren't, weren't going to get into it. So now they actually have these ETFs and they're trading publicly. It's um, You can get into this right now. It's on the NASDAQ and it tracks the Bitcoin price. And a lot of institutions see this as, okay, well, this is kind of a green light for us to put it into potentially your retirement portfolio, potentially into um, other portfolios that you have, but it's only gonna be a sliver. Um, it's not gonna be a large percentage, but it will be a way to differentiate and uh, diversify your portfolio because it is such a speculative asset. It has massive swings in volatility. And the last 10 years, it has averaged 49% per year in annual rate of return, which is great, but it doesn't come smoothly. That's for sure. Um, some volatility of it. So in just for the last few years here, so 2017, it went up 1,369%, which is a ton, but then it went down, <laughs> se but then it went down about 73 and a half percent. So it, it also, which is also a ton. Um, then you get good for four years, you get 92%, 300%, 60%, and people think all is well, And but then it drops 65%. So 
you're going to have some good years and you're going to have some bad years. And that's some extreme volatility, especially if uh, you're putting a lot of money into it. Okay, a good year, like 25%. A bad year, minus 20%. That's the normal bad and good years. This is not good and bad. This is extreme. This is like, woohoo, this is the best year ever to, oh my God, I lost everything, basically. And and when you think when you actually like describe this so you talk about it and the media say all these people are getting rich and there's all these people buying lambos and all sorts of cool stuff um it really starts to remind me of gambling because there's far more losers than there are winners but i never see losers on social media no one posts <laughs> that and uh, i'm sure all these gambling sites FanDuel, all the ones that are all over the commercials right now i don't see them post losers there so it, it sounds pretty similar um, but Bitcoin, a lot of their largest returns are in the past. Um, like if you're talking people getting really, really rich from Bitcoin, it was back when people were getting Bitcoin at five cents in 2009. So it is up an absolute ton from when it started. Yes, you can still get a, a, a good return. It's still averaging 49% per year. But a lot of people are emotional. We talk about how emotional investors are. And if you buy at any point, it could go down 75 to 85%. And if you put a million bucks in Bitcoin and it goes down to $150,000, that's a loss. That's a lot of money that you just went down. And if that's a big part of your portfolio, you no longer have that money to spend and you have to hope and pray that it comes back up. So so in a nutshell, crypto is like your fun money. This is like, yeah. It, it is certainly just should be a sliver of your portfolio. And if you have some fun money there is some way to get into with this etf on the nasdaq but it should not be more than one to two percent of your portfolio and that is if you can afford to lose it we are planning our financial future i'm scott thompson don fox and mitch fox are here from fox group private wealth management you can find out more at donfox.net you can call them at ig private wealth management at 905-972-7420. Quick break. Our last segment is coming up. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. Call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Well, this will be a fascinating topic and very timely considering uh, we're in January and it's after the holidays gift cards i guess use them up quick well scott have you ever received a gift card yes i have and have you used them yes i do have you ever left one not unused no i haven't done that but i've heard wow. of it and it well, costs you, you are, money you are not the regular person then because seven percent of all gift cards go unused Seven percent. So if you are a vendor selling a gift card to somebody, it's seven percent profit because they know you're not seven percent are going to go unused. And by the way, they never expire in Ontario. OK, so that's the good news. Um, but billions and billions of dollars. In fact, in the U.S., 22 billion dollars were unused last year. And so and, and these are super popular. These are the number one gift for anybody. Um, this, it's not, it's, it's gift cards. Number one, clothing is a distant second at number two. 
So gift cards is like, okay, I really didn't know what to get the person, but it's better than just giving them cash. Okay, so it's it's okay. You can do this, but it's kind of interesting. I'm thinking. No, you feel free. Just give me the cash. I'm good with that. <laughs> you don't have to get me a gift card. I will take cash. Okay, cash is king. Well, gift cards are, uh, I don't know, a prince maybe, but because they are down the list. Um, and it's interesting. I'm thinking, well, the less money you make, the greater chance you're going to probably, you know, use them up. Well, it turns out that uh, uh, somebody make, you know, the average, these are U.S. stats, under 50,000, 41% go unused. No, that's for a year. No, they eventually go, eventually get used, but it's an average value of $128. Now, if you're making a bit more money, 50 to 80,000 a year, 53% go unused for at least a year, and it's $165 don't get used. If you're making between 80 to 100,000, 57% go unused for an average of $227. And by the way, it's kind of interesting. Once you make over 100K, they actually start using them up more, a bit more. So the rich get kind of richer because 56% go unused, better than the $80,000 person. And But the, the dollar amounts are greater. So it's $265. So you can actually turn these to cash. That I did not know. You can go on, there's a, there's a couple sites, card swap, gift cash, they're called, and they will buy these from you and they turn around and sell them. And it's about a 15% fee. Not terrible. At least you can get by what you want to buy with this. Um, you know, I, there's all sorts, you can see them when you're shopping and they're, and they're almost like a purchase right at the cash register. All these gift cards are there. Oh, I should just get this for Johnny or my wife or what have you. Um, my wife, on the other hand, didn't seem to like the Dairy Queen gift card I got her for. I Christmas. was about to say, good one there, Don. Good one. <laughs> Both Mitch and I are just chuckling. You go ahead. <laughs> I'm going to bury myself on this, but I can guarantee you they go. They do not go unused. Uh, her <laughs> husband, namely me, will often use those gift cards. So, hey, hey kids, we're all going for Mr. Misty's. Let's go. <laughs> They, they they definitely don't get unused. <laughs> definitely. So some prepaid cards actually have an activation fee. So sometimes you can buy. It's not necessarily gift cards. It's a it's a prepaid. So you actually just gave money. Not a whole lot different. But then they charge an activation fee, and then they have a fee after the first twelve months. They start to whittle down. They'll start charging you so much dollars per month. So right off the get go, you think, okay, well, it's always cash in Ontario. They, you know, they don't expire, but they can have a fee every month after the first year. So you'll watch the value disappear. To me, really, is there any difference for, between expiring and having this fee that slowly loses its value over time? Same idea. Now, the other reason is inflation. You know, with inflation where it has been, if you have, you know, you bought this, this um, $100 gift card saying 2020. Right now, that gift card is worth $85. So it's lost 15% just on inflation alone. So you're thinking, well, it's still 100 bucks. Yes and no. You should have spot what you could have bought when you got the gift card because you can only buy 85% of that same thing now. And so this is where it just depreciates over time because you earn no income on these. So really at the end, these are great things. What I would recommend as a financial planner is why don't you take all your gift cards? All the listeners right now, 
get those drawers open, take out the gift cards, and spend them all. You can as fast as you can on whatever items and whatever you're saving this month. Because now you're not spending it on those clothes or that dinner out or what have you for the gift card, Best Buy, etc. And you take what, because you're going to be spending this money generally anyway. Take that extra money and pay down any credit card debt if you have it. Or make an RSP contribution. Or throw some money into the kid, grandkids RESP. Or that new first-time home buyer's plan. Take that equivalent money that you spent and say, okay, I just got like $500 in gift cards. I now use that money. I'm taking $500 and I'm going to do something really financially prudent with those funds. And that's the start of your financial plan. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox have been here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. Find out more at donfox.net. Call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Another great show, gentlemen. Thanks so much and uh, have a great week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.